Hey, what's up, fam? It's Coach Josh, and welcome to a live Q&A with yours. Truly hope you all are doing well on this marvelous Monday, this momentum-building Monday. Hope you guys are entering into your week strong, full of momentum, and I pray that it, it, uh, it just catapults your week um, to massive success. But for those who are joining me for the very first time, my name is Joshua Ezzy, also known as Coach Josh, and my goal is to help make sense of your life and to help you grow holistically for God's optimal use. And after watching this video, like, man, I like this guy's vibe. Go ahead and subscribe because I would love to be a culture line. But for those who's been rocking with me, whether you've been a subscriber, a listener, a viewer for 14 years or 14 minutes, I want to say thank you so much for trusting what God has entrusted to me. And I pray it continues to be treasury. But as everyone is coming in live, let me let you guys know about some things I got going on. Like if you need one-on-one -on -one coaching, if you need support in your relationships, if you need some coaching for your spiritual development, you need some coaching in regards to your singleness, coaching in regards to purpose or branding or anything like that, I am here to help support you. Or if you just have questions about life in general and you just need a, a third party person or someone that, that you feel is wise enough to help you, I will be able, I would love to help you. Book your coach session day, link in the comments or chat box <clears throat> to the right. But for those who don't know, my latest book, Facts of a Feeling, is how to go from feeling to a feeling. This book right here will be a great resource for you if you want to learn how to process your feelings to find the facts behind them so that you can get back to fulfilling your purpose. This book right here will be a great resource. If you're looking for a book to help you hold um, the important, you know, th important things of life well, this book, The Wholeness Journal, will be a great resource for you. Uh, make sure you check it out. Also, if you're looking for the first part of that book, The Purpose Signals, you want to learn how to find the purpose of your signals and how to maximize it, this book would be a great resource for you. So those two books would be great. If you're looking for a great dating resource to help you uh, date yourself and date guys so you can become dateable, or to know the type of question you should ask to either end the wrong relationship or extend the right one, this book would be a great resource here. Looking for a way for you to determine whether or not something in front of you is a counterfeit or the counterpart, this book would be a great resource for you. If you struggle with soul ties and strongholds, the book of Purpose of Freedom would be good for you. We have a great book for children called As He Says, great resource there. And if you're struggling with spiritual warfare and you want to better understand the whole armor of God, here is a great book there. We got merch as well as ways for you to support this channel on my website, imunplugged.com. Let's get right to the comments now. We got people in the building. I know it's different. We're in, a, we're in a noon, high noon today, but I look forward to serving y'all. Natalie says, why are guys indecisive on what they want? Um, it all boils down to maturity. Uh, maturity determines management ability, right? And, and a guy who is, is clear about who God is, clear about who he is, clear about what he is supposed to do will not be indecisive or unclear about you. So you have to make sure when you're entertaining a guy to see how clear he is about the things he's entertaining or the things he's involved in, right? So a lot of guys in culture who's connected to culture more than they are in Christ will probably be indecisive in life, right? And so you have to begin to allow the Holy Spirit to help you measure the management ability, measure if this is even a man for you. Because even uh, a, a good man, a solid man, those different areas may not be uh, a, a great leader for you because you guys cannot coexist uh, purpose-wise. So a lot of guys are indecisive because they don't know who God is. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they're supposed to do in life. And they have uh, troubled uh, um, uh, emotional uh, uh, feelings. They, they don't know what they want because they're bound by some type of uh, uh, lust. They're bound by some uh, level of ambition or greed. And they want, they may genuinely want to be with you, but their desires are too strong in them to be able to be a man to help strengthen you. Hope they help. Um, Marino says, been watching the Good Guys podcast. You should bring those back, Coach. We'll see. You just never know. Between me and Brandon, you'll never know. We might bring those back. We'll see. We'll see. But great question, man. That was one of our uh, one of the best things I was a part of. It was very fun. And um, y'all check it out. We have a whole um, um, YouTube playlist of it if you want to check out that uh, Good Guys podcast. Let's see here. All right. Golden Christian says, hey, Coach. Is it wrong to put kids up for adoption if you're not ready to raise kids? Well, you just got to give God an opportunity to raise you. If, if Because sometimes in a certain season, you may feel like I'm not seasoned enough to preserve children. But at the same time, uh, 
you don't want to make a decision now that you're going to regret later. So if there's family around you that can help support you as God raised you, that they can raise your kids while you're being raised by God and all those kind of things. And that will probably be a better option than giving them away and putting them in a system and putting them in, in government hands. And then all of a sudden, when you do get yourself together and you want to be back together, now you have a complicated process in order to make that happen. So is it wrong? No, it's not wrong. But you just it's wrong if you haven't given God the opportunity to make it right. So process your frustrations right now. Process your feelings with your kids right now. Ask the Holy Spirit, is there anybody in the village that can help you raise the kids until you get yourself together so that you don't put yourself in a complicated situation down the road? Hope to help. Didi says, <clears throat> I keep asking God for directions, but I'm not discerning anything at the moment. I have mentors, but I get overwhelmed. Is it that I'm looking for God to answer me in a certain way? That that could be a clue. Oftentimes we want God to answer. And sometimes God doesn't answer when we need the answer because we can't handle the answer or we want the answer more than we want the answer. The answer is a person. The more we allow God, because sometimes we want to answer to a thing that God says, I cannot answer that thing until I answer the first few things, the prerequisite things. There are some prerequisite things that you need answered before that prayer request is answered. What do I mean by that? Maybe there needs to be an answer to the idolatry. Maybe you need to allow God to answer the questions of your, of your, of your unforgiveness, your resentment, whatever it is. You have to allow God to be the answer or the closure of those different areas. Because why would God open the door to answer a new direction if you haven't allowed him to close the mishaps? So the last directions or the last mishaps, right? So you have to allow God um, to be who he is because sometimes we want the answer more than we want the answer who is the person, right? And so if you're looking for God to answer in a certain way, you may miss the other ways he may have answered. Maybe God's lack of answer is, is, is leaning you to continue to manage where you currently are, right? And so sometimes we want direction, but we haven't really fulfilled the last assignment. We want new directions, but we haven't fulfilled what God wants us to do at the current place. Sometimes we move. Sometimes we want to move uh, when, we, when we haven't finished manage where it is that we want. He wants us to manage because in the management of where you are will determine the type of attitude attributes you have to be able to properly and fully store where you desire to be. I keep asking God for directions, but I'm not discerning anything at the moment. If you're not discerning anything to do at the moment, if you don't know, don't go. If he don't know, continue to do what he already showed you to do where you are. Just keep being <clears throat> a good steward where you are. Keep uh, allowing that environment or allowing where you are to develop you into the person you need to be. You said I have mentors, but I get overwhelmed. It could be the overwhelmness is because of the uh, uh, overwhelmness of the expectation of where you want to be. And you have to really look at your chart and ask, why do I want that place too bad? Because anytime you feel overwhelmed about a place, then you may be overly uh, uh, invested in the idea of that place, causing you to be so caught up in a fantasy world that you're missing out on the uh, uh, opportunities you have in the real world. And so just take a couple of deep breaths, vent to God, process to God. Open yourself up to Holy Spirit. Make sure you begin to remove yourself from unnecessary noises and people so that you can be able to be content where you are. Because if you can't be content in constructing the tent of where God wants you to be at, then you won't be able to construct or be content in the next season. Hope to help. Jody Real says, <clears throat> sometimes I want to stay single to avoid future marriage and relationship problems. I don't have time for arguments and disagreements. Am I wrong for feeling that way? Yeah, most definitely, fam. And that's out of love. Um, because the goal is not to run away from problems. The goal is to build your problem-solving skills. Because no matter where you go in life, even in singleness, if you stay single for the rest of your life, you're still going to have to solve problems. You're still going to have to be a problem, a person that's going to face problems, right? And so to, to, if you develop or invest in that mindset that says the reason why I want to avoid marriage relationship problems is because I don't want to face them, then, then you're going to really stifle the uh, the prosperous opportunities, the prosperous opportunities, the, 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 the purpose path that God wants to walk you down. Because no matter where you go in life, you cannot avoid problems, right? And so no matter what, practice problem solving skills now so that when you get into a relationship with the person that God has for you, problem solving together will be a, a, a good thing for you all, right? Because no matter where you go, no matter who you marry, even you, if you marry the right one, you're going to have arguments. 
You're going to have disagreements. But the beautiful thing about a marriage that's rooted in God, there's three people, three persons in that marriage. There's you, your wife, and the Holy Spirit. One thing about me and my wife right now, when we get into arguments, disagreements, man, we go to our corners, we go to the Holy Spirit, and then in less than 24, less than 24 hours, we it's as if it never happened. That's the luxury. But at the same time, we like to communicate to find the problem. And so if you're not good at problem solving now, then I can understand why. But the goal is no matter where you go, you're going to have arguments in this group. Now, determining, depending on the person you marry and depending on your sacrificial nature and depending on your spiritual development, determine the, the, the loudness and the unnecessariness of the arguments and disagreements. So even if you marry the right one, if y'all both do not continue in the things of God, it's only going to create habits and unnecessary uh, emotional attachment is going to cause unnecessary arguments. So it's very important that both people go into a marriage with the one that God has for them and to continue to stay in marriage with the one who is God so that you can continue to be able to be sensitive to the spirit of God to avoid the unnecessary arguments, disagreements, and, uh, and to ensure they don't reach levels unnecessarily. Hope that help y'all. Jojo Davis says, what's up, Coach Josh? It's Jojo out of Fort Worth. How do I get more comfortable with exercising, eating more healthier, also taking my spiritual journey to the next level? Great question. Um, you have to get in it to see the benefit. Get in it to feel the to uh, to to be familiar with the benefit. So when you go to the gym and you begin to feel the endorphins, you begin to feel the chemical change, and you begin to feel the emotional change, you begin to see the physical change over time. Then you're going to become more comfortable with it. Now the goal is is that I have to become uncomfortable to be comfortable. If I want the comforts of life, of long life, of life more abundantly, if I want to enjoy the comforts of that, I have to be uncomfortable now because the flesh has to be uncomfortable for the spirit to, to, to lead it. And so you get more comfortable by, by uh, uh, thinking about the level of comfort you want to have and realizing the only road from where you are to where you want to be is the uncomfortable road, the road where you're stretched, the road, the road where you're unpressed, right? And when you realize the benefit of exercising, the benefit of eating healthy, and the benefit of, of taking your spiritual uh, life to the next level, it will, it will be more monumentous than the current moment that you have right now. So what are the pros and cons of both? Let's talk about it. What are the pros of eating right? What, is, what are the pros of exercising? What are the pros to take your spiritual life to the next journey? Those pros will always outweigh the pros of where you are. So if you, you, you have to get your mind renewed to shift your perspectives on these particular things, because if not, then you're just going to get be where you are. So now you got to begin to really start looking at the disgusting aspects of what you're involved in. For me, what changed me from eating the way I was eating to eating better was realizing these cancer causing life shortening chemicals that are in these foods. Then I begin to say, okay, I will be a fool to continue to eat these foods and expect myself to be flourishing and fruitful and faithful to my family. I don't want to die young. I don't want to die prematurely. I don't want my, my child to be, man, hearing all these great things about her, her dad, and then realizing her dad died and everybody else got to enjoy her dad but her. You see what I'm saying? And so those strong whys press me through the discomfort so I can enjoy uh, um, the, the, the aspects of, of, of life and what causes life to be lived long. And as far as the spiritual next journey is that the reason why the other areas are not where they need to be is because my spirituality is not where it needs to be. I'm not spiritually connected. Maybe there's some aspects of my life that hasn't really made God the source of it, right? So those are some things you got to really begin to process, but you got to determine your why, why you must be uncomfortable in order to reach your comfort. Hope to help. Na Natural Nisi says, hey, coach, it seems like the more I get into the word and read and pray, the less I hear from God or feel close to him. Is this normal? It's all about the it's all about the reason why you're reading. It's all about the reason why you're why you're praying. Reasons matter. For instance, if someone only came to you, worked for you, was your friend because of reasons that didn't benefit you as a person, would you talk to them when you find it out? For instance, if someone only came to you just to borrow money, only came to you um, to get to know you for what they can get from you, but don't, didn't really want to be with you, would you really answer them? 
So your perspective, like if you're reading the word, but not allowing the word to read you, if you're reading the word just to check off the list that you did something so that you can show God what you did throughout the week. So you can say, God, you owe me this blessing. Then you're not going to get anything from him. Most people's devotional life is, is checking the box off the list so they can make God give God a list of dues because of the things that they've done. See what I'm saying? And so a lot of people do that. And I'm not saying it's you, but you have to look at your heart. And so and some reasons why God may not be speaking to you is because he's already spoken to you through his written word. Right. And so it just could be based upon your spiritual maturity level as far as babe or season, depending on where you are, um, that will open you up to better understanding how God speaks and how God leads. Right. The closest to him is where the red flag picks up. Right. Closest is always based upon perspective. If your perspective of God's closest is based upon feeling and not the facts, then you won't begin to see his acts. Because sometimes a lot of people who grew up in some of these, these churches, whereas emotionalism is the root reason of their existence, can cause a lot of people to think that just because they don't feel goosebumps or just because they don't feel like God is doing something, that God is out there. God is always there factually. God is always there. I, I, it, no matter what, my wife is somewhere else right now. I'm at the house. Our closest, it does not mean that me and my wife can be in the same room and be miles apart based upon our mentality. But my wife can still feel my closeness now, even when she's miles away. Right. And so it's all about perspective. It's all about understanding the person to understand and determine the closeness of that person. And so maybe there needs to be some altering mentally in regards to your understanding about the things of God, as far as making sure that you're not doing things for God to do things. But that you're doing it so that you can so things can be more done in you so that you can be more like him, trusting him for whatever it is that you want him to answer and to realize that he's factually closer than your feelings can even comprehend. Then you begin to see things um, how they how they need to be seen. Hope to help. Didi also says uh, uh, I'm struggling with finding my purpose. Um, the, the goal is not to find your purpose but for your purpose to find you. As long as you're at the foot of God, as long as you're at the foot of Jesus, you see what I'm saying? As long as you're being fed, as long as you're as long as you're uh, being fruitful, your purpose will find you. My wife found me. We found each other is what I'm saying. Um, 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 my calling found me. Writing found me. All these things found me when they found me at the foot of God. And when you're at the foot of God, things will find you. That's why I just keep following God. Keep fellowship with him. Keep uh, um, um, looking to better understand who he is as a person. Better understanding who you are as a person. Because when you get caught up in those understandings, then those things will be standing beside you. Purposeful things. For instance, I'm always believe in his mindset and visualize it. That while you're walking with God, things should be out of breath finding you. You should never be out of breath finding things. Things should always be out of breath looking for you. You should never be out of breath looking for things. You should just be walking with God. You should just be fellowship with God. And those things should be chasing you and God down, not you running away from God chasing those things down. Because anything that you have to chase will cause you to get you out of pace, that will cause you to be out of race, and it'll be, and then you'll be finding yourself out of place. But when you're following God and you just walk with him, trusting him that wherever he's walking, things will be <sighs> DD. Hey, man, we, we got this for you. We've been looking for you. Things should be looking for you in the presence of God. And then that's when your purpose become clear, because the more you get to know God, the more you begin to adopt his attributes, the more you begin to adopt his characteristics. And those attributes and characteristics will then uh, perpetuate you into a level of, of, of preparedness and maturity where those things could then be unlocked and released to you. But also, you can get an idea of what you're called to. By looking at the things that you're gifted at, those things inside of you that you just, man, I'm just very good at this. I'm a natural at this. Um, for instance, I've been giving advice to people since I was in sixth grade. Adults would be coming in my presence as a young kid just to vent to me. Um, people always wanted to whatever, whatever, be around me for advice. And I realized, man, this must be something up to this. 
right? And that's why I want to encourage all those whose gifts are not celebrated. The reason why a lot of uh, gifts are suffocated is because they haven't been celebrated because a lot of your gifts was not um, uh, boisterous. They weren't extroverted. They wasn't out there. They wasn't celebrated. So now you suffocated or you suppressed it because it wasn't celebrated. And God's like, man, just because it wasn't celebrated by people doesn't mean it won't eventually be celebrated. And that's how my giftings was. Uh, every my giftings were celebrated in private, not in public. <laughs> my giftings were celebrated. Oh, thanks, thanks, Josh, for the advice. But it wasn't like Josh gives great advice, y'all. y'all it wasn't like that. And I suffocated that gift. But then over time, as I began to walk with God, I began to find confidence in those things that I didn't even think had any type of value. So hope to help. Jesus took my sin and says, can you please pray for me? Whatever the Holy Spirit direction, directs you, thank you. Yeah, let's pray for our brother, sister here. Father, I thank you so much for, for this person behind the name, Jesus take the will. Uh, Jesus take our sins. I pray, Father God, that you strengthen them. Whatever their needs are, Father, I thank you, Lord, you already met their need. Give them a peace that surpasses all understanding. Let them know that you will carry them through this situation, that you will give them clarity on everything that they need, that you will give them strength in this, in this tough time. And I pray, Father God, that they will continue to find your joy that will strengthen them to be able to be the person they need to be to, to fulfill the purpose you have for them to do. So I thank you, Father God, for the anointing in this prayer that's releasing any type of bondages. I come against every demonic spirit that may be trying to war against this person, keeping them from being the person they need to be. We command you right now and deal with the authority of Jesus to loose them now. In Jesus' name, Father, we thank you for that authority and we thank you that peace will be evidence that you are present with them every moment of their life. In Jesus' name, we do pray. We thank you. Amen. you welcome, DD. Thank you so much, Coach. God bless you. God bless you too, family. Also, if you need one-on-one -on -one coaching, let you guys know because we got new people in right now. If you need one-on-one -on -one coaching, if you need support, I have some spots available for the next uh, eight weeks or so. If you need help with your relationships, your spiritual development, your singleness, your purpose, and how to find it, and branding and marketing needs, if you need, if you're trying to get that book off the ground, that idea off the ground, I'm here to help you. If you just need a, a very complicated situation, you just need my advice on book me now for a coach session. I will customize a coaching session for you uh, based upon your budget. Let me know what your budget is for one session or multiple sessions. And I have some space available to help you. Especially for people that want to understand their purpose, those who, a lot of different things like that. I'm here to help you all. Let's see here. I lost my spot. <clears throat> oh, here we go. Uh, Golden Christian says to add on Okay. Okay. My life has not been fulfilled. So raising kids will stop me from achieving my own success in life. To add on, my life has not been fulfilled. So raising kids will stop me. No, you stopped yourself. Let me help you. If and hear me through my heart, right? The moment you opened your legs or the moment, whatever, male or female, whoever you are, the moment you made that decision to bring kids, you made the choice to, to wouldn't say stifle, but you made the choice for your purpose to shift. So you have to be able, that's why things are supposed to be done in the right, in the right time. That's why sex is only safe in a marriage where both the husband and wife are both submitted to God or the place is sex safe. And so if the moment you decided to, to, to do the do that will bring the kids, then you have to deal with the, with, I want, they're not even a consequence. The consequence that you have to face is that you now have to put that on the shelf because your kids come first. So now, now you have to deal with that dynamic, right? And so if, if you raising kids is going to keep you from fulfilling your purpose, that's selfishness. That's selfishness. So selfishness is, is the root of a lot of self-destructive behaviors, of uh, 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 family sabotage. You have to look at your heart about that. So that's just what you got to deal with, man. And so now you have to ask God for grace, grace for you. And God's grace is sufficient. God's grace can still be able to help you raise kids and to fulfill your own particular success. But you have to understand that comes after your kids. Once my daughter is born, once my child is born in November, this takes a back seat to, to, to the family. This art, if my wife calls me right now, it's over. It, I got to close this screen. That's it. You see what I'm saying? So the moment I made a decision to get married, I made a decision about my purpose. The moment I made a decision to, to, uh, to, to impregnate my wife, things have now been shifted into a different order now. 
And so kids are not the consequence. Now you have to deal with the decision. The decision is that you did what you did to have kids. And now that the kids are here, now you have to juggle all. So to give up your kids for an adoption so that you continue to excel at your purpose, you're going to realize that you made the wrong decision. Because then when you find your kids in love with another parent and you find your kids uh, more connected to someone else, because the worst fel- the worst feeling I found that most parents feel is when their kids have stronger feelings for another father figure or another mother figure. And then that causes more pain, even if you're on the top of the peak of your success. So kids will guarantee that when you're older, especially if you love them now, to make sure that you're loved on when you need them the most. So you have to shift your perspective and make sure that you're not rooted in selfishness to say that kids are, 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 I'm going to be so selfish to put my kids on a shelf so I can find my wealth. And then you'll miss out on true wealth, which is family down the road. Hope you heard my heart through that family because, because that's just what comes with those type of decisions. Brianna Battle says, Brianna Battle says, I have outgrown living with my family. It has gotten to the point where so where uh so many want us where we want nothing to do with my parents' broken marriage and toxic traits, but God still has me in this place. Why? Um, there's a lot of re- there's a lot of there's a couple of reasons or more why God has you there because maybe um, God wants to still use you to help redeem them. Um, maybe um, um, uh, a lot of different reasons, man. Um, that's a tough one because it depends on how old you are. How do you know that God still wants you there? That's the, that's the root. If you have a strong conviction and you know, coach, I, I know when God speaks to me and God is telling me to stay here, then you have to trust in that, that God has a reason for you to be there. That God has, there's a reason why he wants you there and he will give you the, because God will never keep you in a place longer than, than, than your, the Bible says he'll put, he won't put no more on you than you can bear. But that doesn't mean that, then that, if God, let me make sure I make that clear. God will put no more on you than you can bear, but you got to make sure that you're bearing the weight the right way. So if you're allowing your mind to emotionally shift and you're allowing your thoughts to shift, and then God wants you to put you there uh, for a particular reason, but you begin to allow unnecessary weights mentally and emotionally to come in, and you're not able to see uh, why you're there for the real reason, then it will cause it to be burdensome, right? So what I would do is now, if you're in a place that God wants you to be, I will start digging deep into him, digging deep into your personal, uh, 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 to your spiritual development, um, get uh, create a worship playlist, um, um, practice your uh, your affirmations and, and, and meditate the word of God and, and find that sweet joy because maybe God wants to use you as a sweet, joyful aroma that could be used to how in every however way he wants to use to not maybe not to bring it back together, but to make it a little bit more bearable for you and for them. Who knows? But that's when you dig deep. Because sometimes we get so caught up on where we are versus why we're there. And then, then, then we will miss out on the joy of the Lord being our strength while we're there. And then joy will not become the, become the fragrance it needs to be um, to cause the joy of the hope that needs to be done in the atmosphere of why God has there. We got to ask, we got to be like uh, Febreze plugins. We're just Febreze plugins. You know what I'm saying? And God plugs us in certain places so that there could be a fragrance there. So the house can have a, a, a positive smell. So that no matter what is smelling around us, we're that plugged in. That person that's plugged in that has a sweet aroma that will cause a stinky situation um, to be um, to be bearable. Hope to help. Hope that analogy gave some perspective. And he says, continue to give Coach Josh the strength, Lord. Oh, for sure. For sure. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. Here, Franklin says, morning, how do I know God's voice from the enemies? He disguised himself and I tend to fall for it over and over. Great question. The devil cannot speak within the presence that only God can give. Hear me. Demonic words come with pressure. Pressure, 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 or sensual passions. God's voice is always in peace. He's never pressuring. He's never pushy. It's peaceful. It's solid. It's solid. Strongly feel. So strong that you know that the devil don't even have that type of strength in his hands to make you feel that strong about a thing, right? 
Uh, it never leads to curiosity. It always leads to clarity. The Bible says God's not the author of confusion. And I always say this, God's not the author of confusion. He's the author of clarity. He always puts in a place where it makes common sense. It makes sense. Um, it's clear. It's correct. It's scriptural. It's biblical. It doesn't contradict the things of God or the word of God, right? And so the devil can cannot disguise in presence. So anytime you feel pressure, anytime you feel pushing, every time you hear, and it's just constantly in your mind, well, you should, you should, that's not God. God is patient. God is peaceful. Um, and that's how you know God's voice. Um, a good book that I think will help you with that, if you haven't already have, uh, have it, is Counterfeit a Counterpart. I have a lot of great talking points on how God confirms, how God speaks, how you to know God's voice, how to know your voice, the devil's voice, and God's voice. This book will be a great resource for you, my friend, if this is your first time um, uh, uh, from, uh, being familiar with my material. Hope to help. DeAndre says, what's up, coach? Any advice on how to do, be a biblical leader at 19 years old? Great question. <clears throat> DeAndre says, sub coach, any advice on how to be a biblical leader at 19 years old? If you want to be a biblical leader, get in the Bible. And where I will start is Proverbs. Read a proverb day. Today is Proverbs 20. I mean, uh, today is June 20th. Um, I will read Proverbs 20. And what I will do is I will read with the, read, with the writer. Read. With the author, all right? The thing about reading the word of God is that you always have the author there, that the Bible has to read you. And what I mean by that, when I read the Bible and I allow it to read me, that when I get to a scripture and, I, and, and it's something that's like you can't get past it. You, you, see, the issue with a lot of us, we just read our Bible so we can check it off our to-do list. Oh, I read today, but we didn't really read. We didn't really read to set us up to meditate. The goal of reading the word of God is to set us up to meditate on it day and night. It's hard to meditate on a word day and night when you rush through it. You have to read it with the intent to meditate. You have to read it with the with the intent to chew it, to, to chew it 22 times and, and to swallow it and allow it to be a part of the cells and digest and the body, the spirit do what it does to help renew the mind. And what that looks like is this. When you're reading, let's pull up a scripture now. Let's do it practically. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20. Uh, let's do it here. I'm going to show you how to do this, right? Let me get on the screen. Uh, share screen, share screen. Here we go. <clears throat> let's do this practically. So we're here at Proverbs 20. So what I do is this is how I read. I take my time. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So I sit there and ask myself a couple of questions. What am I intoxicated with? Am I, because people think strong drink. Now, strong drink could be alcohol. Don't get me wrong. But I have to ask myself, what has me intoxicated? What has a strong, intoxicating pull on me? Josh, how are you with ambition right now? How are you with, with success? How are you with your thoughts? Is there anything in your life, Josh, that could be leading you astray? And if I get the clearance to keep going, I keep going. If if after reading that, there is no Holy Spirit conviction, there's no Holy Spirit like dive deep, or if there's no Holy Spirit creatively leading me to make a message out of it. So what I is, I can sit on verse one for a long period of time. I, I, I Some people right now, if they read Proverbs 20, can go about their day and say, you know what? I need to meditate on this. I've been strongly intoxicated by success, strongly intoxicated by lust and sex and relationships. And, and I'm allowing to be a led astray and I've been proven to not be wise. And so now you just meditate on that just in different moments of, man, am I walking wise? What's leading me straight? Number two, the terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life. So ain't no, ain't deal with no king. So I keep going. It is an honor for a man. Here we go. Now that you're a young man or young woman, uh, it is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. So that lets me know 
the honor of a man, even if a person talks crazy to me, right? Even a person, me walking away, me keeps me holding my honor. That's a scripture that will be really significant to me in competition and, and when people disrespect me, that it doesn't matter. That that fools are always looking at quarrelings. And if you are foolish enough to fall to a fool's quarrelings, then you will be you will lose honor. You don't because I don't know who's watching me who loses honor about me. Oh man, I ain't no Mr. S was like that. I ain't no coach. I, I'm losing a certain type of respect from him. So you see, I we spent three to four minutes in three verses, two verses that you can really chew throughout the whole day. So in order to be a biblical leader, you got to get into the word, let the word read you. So when people read you, they can read the scriptures because we're the first Bible a lot of people going to really read. People have read the Bible before, but people don't really read the Bible until they first read us. Why are you so loving? Why are you so kind? Why are you so patient? Why are you so understanding? Why are you so different? And why, why is there a glow on you? Because you've been reading. No, no, no. You've been allowing the word to read you. And, and, and when you do a proverb a day and do a, a gospel a month, my friend, you keep that regiment, you'll begin to see how Christ moved, how Jesus moved, how Jesus dealt with people, how, how Jesus interacted. Um, you'll begin to understand the mission of the gospel, the vision of the Christ. And then the proverbs a day will just keep you walking wisely every day. I have a saying, I tell my ninth grade kids, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. Because the only way the devil comes along your way is when you walk in the wrong way. Hope they help. And DeAndre said, for a man. That, now let, let's talk about that for a man. Now that we know. As a 19-year-old, you have to understand foundations. You have to understand foundations. Foundations are important. Any crack in a foundation makes a, a whole house unlivable. You can have an amazing mansion, an amazing life. You can have an amazing wife. You can have an amazing setup, but that one crack in the foundation that you never dealt with can cause that place to be unlivable, can cause you to be unlivable because the moment that crack is exposed, moment that hidden practice in your life, that lack of foundation, that lack of smooth payment has been exposed, then all of a sudden you can lose your whole house. You can lose your whole spouse. You can lose everything in your house. So as a man, you must understand foundation because you're because if you're not founded on God, you won't be a good, strong foundation for your family. Now, this is what I say about this. You have to make sure that you understand basic biblical principles on manhood. So what I would do right now is begin to meditate on all scriptures on manhood. Now that I know you're a gentleman, let me let me get the scriptures back up again. And, and let's let's take a look on scriptures on manhood. Let's see what we got here. Let's share the screen again. Share screen. Here we go. What does the Bible say about manhood? First Corinthians 16, 30 says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. You can sit on that for a whole year, bro. Be watchful. A biblical man is a watching man. He watches himself. He's observant of his environment. In order to be a watchful person, you got to be a man that walks with God. Because God would help you determine. God would help you develop a pace, not the race. You got to be watchful. I'm, self-awareness is very important for a man. A man must be self-aware. A man has to always be watchful of himself, how he is around the opposite sex, how he's around um, things that once had him vexed, things. Uh, he has to always be watchful, prayerful, right? He has to be watchful of his environments, watchful of the people he make his friends, watchful of the things that he do. Second, you got to stand firm in the faith. A, a, a biblical man is a man of faith. My wife knows that my faith is firm. She don't have to worry about me being moved. She said, man, I don't went through all that anxiousness and anxiety as a single man. I have no time to be an anxious man in marriage because I have people watching. So what does it mean for a man to stand firm? So what I would do, fam, this is how I break down scriptures. Be watchful means I have to become watchful, which means I got to look up the definition of watch. What does it mean to be watchful? You can literally stay on be watchful for a few weeks. What does it mean to be watchful? 
What does it mean to be? Mm, see, I can't even get past the first word. I can't even get, what does it mean to be me? In order for me to be watchful anything, I got to know what it means to be me. Because when I know me, I know what to watch out for, for me. In order for me to be me, I have to be in he. In order for me to be a living sacrifice, in order for me to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, in order for me to be the biblical man I need to be, I have to be me. And if I'm being another man, if I'm being another he and not being me, how can I be watchful over me? And how can I even be watching out for things that's for me if I ain't even being me? So in order for a 19-year-old man to be biblical, you got to be you. And you got to be okay with being you. So you got to, you can sit for four weeks on B. What does it mean to be me and he? How can I get more of he and me so I can be me? So I can be the husband I need to be, the father I need to be, the the role model I need to be. Because as a man, I'm going to have to be a pillar in my family. So I got to be always on my post watching. Watching over my wife, praying over my wife, praying over my child in her stomach, praying, praying, watchful. As soon as I become a man, there's no need for me to be a boy. Boys, boys ain't watchful. Men are watchful. As soon as you become a man, now you have responsibilities. You can no longer be a boy. So 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14 is where every man should be right now. What does it mean to be me? What does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be watchful? What does it mean to stand? What do I stand on? What principles do I stand on? Because if I don't stand for anything, I'll fall for anything. What does it mean to stand firm? Am I rooted in my faith? How is my faith? Now that jumps me all the way to James 1. Uh, um, Count it all joy me go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith for this pain. So now I got to be okay as a 19-year-old man that I still got a lot of tough times to face. I got a lot of trying times to face. I wish at 19 someone told me that, that, your, that, that, that it's only going to get worse but better. And what I mean by worse, not worse like bad, but that you're going to go through some things so your faith can be tested, so that you can be standing firm in faith in God, that nothing can move you as a man. And then it says, act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Basically saying, now, love. A lot of men don't know what it means to be loved. That's why we a lot of men can't love. When you know the love of God, it removes all fear. Now you're not afraid to be a man. You ain't afraid to act like a man. You're not afraid to stand from your faith. You're not afraid to be watched. You're not afraid to be you. So a lot, all of us, man, I can't even go to first Peter. I can't even go to the rest of the scriptures. Sit right there in first Corinthians 16, 13 to 14, my friend, and you'll know what it means to be a biblical man. Hope they help. Omega Spencer says, I got time for a couple more. Let me make sure my wife ain't calling. <laughs> Speaking of that, make sure we good. Okay, we're all good. We're all good. Make sure no, we're good. You always got to double check. And for those who are watching right now who haven't heard yet, if you need one-on-one -on -one coaching, if you need support in your relationships and your spiritual development, if you need any kind of support in that manner um, about spiritual development, uh, singleness, purpose, branding, let me know. I would love to coach you. Let me know your budget um, and I'll customize a coaching session for you. Okay. Wife is good. No, I don't see nothing. So let's keep going. Uh, Omega Spencer, can you break down each of the five-fold ministry gifts and discuss their function a little bit? Sure, sure. It, it's simple with the five hands, right? Um, uh, the thumb represents the apostle. The pointer finger represents the prophet. The middle finger represents the... Okay, let me make sure. Okay, let's, okay, let's go through. 
<clears throat> Let's read your question again. So if I chop this up and use it, it it'll look clean. Omega Spin says, can you break down each of the five-fold ministry gifts and discuss their functions a little bit? Sure. Um, the five folds can be expressed in your five fingers. The apostle is the thumb. The prophet is the pointer finger. The evangelist is the middle finger. The pastor is the ring finger. And the teacher is the small finger. The thumb is the apostle. The apostle is able to do every function. The thumb can do something every finger, every other finger cannot do. I cannot, my, my pointer finger cannot touch the, it can touch the ring finger, but it can't touch, it's not, it's not easy to do. The thumb is the only one that can touch each finger easily. So the apostolic ministry is able to prophesy, is able to be an evangelist, able to be a pastor, able to teach. They have, they are able to do all. The, thumb. the pointer finger is a prophet that points the way. This is the word of the Lord. The middle finger, I ain't going to put it up by itself, is the evangelist because it's the longest finger. It goes to fathers. The evangelist travels to fathers. It goes to fathers. Therefore, the middle finger is the evangelist. The pastoral office is the ring finger. That means uh, that man, that pastor is married to the church. Married. Partnership. Ain't going. Teachers, the smaller finger is not the smallest because the smallest is because it's the last finger and teachers teach, right? <clears throat> so the, the apostolic ministry, they tear down and build up. They, they The apostolic ministry is able to go into a particular situation that has been rooted in some type of perversion, rooted in some type of out of orderness, and they're able to tear it down and build up the way it's supposed to be. And then it actually helps uh, develop, build churches so the church can be able to function and grow. People can wear the prophet is the, is the one that hears from God speak on behalf of God, and, and they never they never profit to profit. Okay, if a prophet is trying to profit off the prophecies, don't trust that prophet. Okay, uh, the uh, the evangelist is the one that goes out and preaches the gospel and reaches the unsaved. They're gifted to speak to strangers. They're gifted um, to get into the world, not to be of the world. They gifted um, to reach people for God. They just have that gifted anointing. The pastor is the one that's settled in one location. And they're married to the church and the teachers just gifted in teaching. They're able to teach apologetics. They're able to teach the things of God's word where people are able to understand. Hope to help. Joe Jazz, yo, my guy, what's going on, family? K2 Sound was good, was good. Jazz says, nice shirt, bro. My man's got his R&B shirt. <laughs> Listen, man, you know, it is. I got some business to handle today. You know what I'm saying? I said, I put on something nice. <laughs> yeah, man, nice, nice little something, something different for y'all. Throw you off a little bit. Didi says, amen, Coach Josh. Uh, oh, yeah, talking to each other. Uh, she, uh, Sign, uh, says, and I want to mispronounce your last name. Hi, Coach. How do you know if you're in the will of God? What does being in the will of God look like? Great question. How do you know if you're in the will of God? You know you're in the will of God when you're in the ways of God. When you begin to adopt his ways and you begin to have a burden to be like him if you and you have a desire to be like him, you're going to naturally flood into his will. The will of God, sometimes we focus so much on the end result of the will or where the will will take us versus where the will is uh, uh, at, at the moment. And what I mean by that is the will of God every day looks like this, that I am a, I'm embodying his attributes. I'm acknowledging him in all of my ways. I, my heart is full of gratitude. Um, um, I'm I'm desiring to live peaceably with all men. I'm loving. I'm kind. I'm discerning. I'm self-aware. Like doing the daily stuff for the will of God to be manifested. The will of God we think of is that I'm on a stage. I'm in this stage of life and I'm doing X, Y, and Z. The will of God is just being, being like God in every area of your life. And you know you in the will of God when you find that joy, when you find that he's your everything, when you begin to find yourself sensitive enough to be led by the spirit of God, right? And so the best way to be in the will of God is to give God the will of your life. And what I mean by this, take control off of where you want to go. Examine all the places you want to go and ask yourself, have I even acknowledged God if this is where I even want to be? If you're in a relationship right now, you know you need to ask God about it, it's time to step out of it. If you're in a, a school or in a place where you didn't even ask God about, then it's time for you to consider about taking yourself out of those places and then to start over by acknowledging God. God, is this even where you want me to be? Because we make a practice of making decisions without acknowledging him about the decision. And that's, then we end up missing being in our sweet spot and really fulfilling our will. So in everything that you're in right now, I want you to ask yourself, did I even ask God this? Did I, even, did I even pray about this enough to get a clear sureness in my spirit that I should be after it? If not, I got to step out of it. 
Because I want to make sure that I'm clear. Now, there's some things you just can't step out. I'm not talking about quit your job. I'm not talking about stopping at a, uh, um, um, quitting your school. I'm not saying doing that. But you should at least begin to steal your life enough, pause your life enough to acknowledge God. God, first off, I repent if I went somewhere that you didn't want me to be in. And God, if I am in a place that I'm not supposed to be, Lord, get me out of this. Get me out of this relationship. Get me out of Egypt. Get me out of it, God. And deliver out of me anything and everything that's making me idolize this place. And then when you do that, you'll begin to see God switch you out of schools and it'd be smooth. <clears throat> Transitions with God are always smooth. When he wants you out of something, it's always smooth. When he got the children of Israel, Israel out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, did they step in mud? God was so detailed. He was like, listen, I don't got time for y'all's wheels to be stuck in mud. I don't got time for y'all feet to be muddy. I don't want your J's. I don't want your Yeezys to be muddy. God said, man, I don't even want your Crocs to be muddy because y'all got holes in your Crocs. He said, man, I must split the Red Sea. And the miracle was not in splitting the Red Sea. What made the miracle even more of a miracle is that they walked on dry ground. So God not only made a path, but he made the path where the path would not be a distraction from the, the, the way, the place, because most people would have been ah, focusing too much, getting their feet out the mud. Oh man, we got the, the Rolls Royce is stuck in the mud. No, God said, man, I don't even got time for y'all to be thinking about the path because I only want the path to be a distraction from the place or the pace. So God would get you out of that. Just ask to be in his will and he'll get you out of that. <clears throat> I'm just going back. I'm going down to see how many questions I have. Hmm. Yahira, thank you so much. One of my um clients, I don't want to call it clients, family, a coaching family. Uh, she says 10 out of 10 recommend one-on-one -on -one coaching. Thank you so much. We've been working. We've been getting some good work together. So I'm glad you trust me with your coaching. And those who's watching right now who haven't heard. We need one-on-one -on -one coaching, relationship, spiritual, singleness, purpose, branding. Bookie says she gave me a 10 out of 10. I appreciate you. There, there go y'all's Yelp review. <laughs> I'm just joking. Thank you so much, Yahira. I appreciate you. And I look forward to our uh, session this week. Let me go into the, to the one hour mark. Let's go to one hours. Let's go to one hours. Uh, <clears throat> uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Reichel, Miss Blount says, and I don't want to butcher y'all's name up. I know someone experiencing what they call a mental block with romantic relationships. They can't connect or feel anything in that way. Make sure some of my stuff won't be dragging. I know someone experiencing what they call, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> Ms. Blount says, I know someone experiencing what they call a mental block with romantic relationships. They can't connect or feel anything in that way. They want marriage, but are growing discouraged. What advice can I give them? Great question. The first thing I will tell them is to ask themselves where their hope is. If their hope is in their relation in the idea of relationship, but not in the individual, then their their hope is going to make them sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes you feel nothing in you, right? But when your hope is in God and you're developing and investing in that relationship with him, then it gives you hope for all the other relationships because it will be his peace that will sustain. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. You just can't, because if people go years and years only praying and petitioning, but not offering thanksgiving, that's going to make a heart grow cold. If all you do is go to God with, the, with, with anxiousness and you enter his course with anxiety, and you're not you're not really uh, affirmed by his attributes, not even aware of who he is in, at, in attribute form that will anchor your soul. Then you're going to only go to God year after year. Where's my husband? Where's my husband? Where's my spouse? Where's my spouse? Where is this? Where is that? But you don't couple that with Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is what puts your prayers in perspective. So how many months, how many years do people go in asking, asking, asking without offering, offering, offering Thanksgiving? Because Thanksgiving will put you in perspective like, God, you've been good to me. Yeah, you got me, God. Then the Bible says with prayer and supplication, with Thanksgiving, make your request known to God and then the peace of God. Peace comes from perspective. Peace comes from praise and thanksgiving. 
And then you will be because so many people, the reason why they're discouraged is because they don't even they're not even doing anything to even make themselves warranted to be We get mad at God for the reason why God hasn't brought us anything, but we haven't been built up to the person warranting the thing to be brought to. How do we have the audacity to get mad at God for not delivering a spouse and we haven't been delivered? We want deliveries without deliverance and we read and we wonder why the delivery has been held up. So our discouragement comes because we are our hope is in the wrong thing and hope deferred makes the heart sick. We're discouraged because we're not entering into God's courage through thanksgiving. And we're discouraged because we're, we're really looking outward and not inward to even see, do I even match what it is that I want to latch on to? So sometimes people just got to keep it 100 with them and keep it real with them and be like, yo, are you really? Because the thing is, it's hard to be discouraged in your singleness if you understand the purpose of your singleness, if you understand the joy of your singleness, if you understand that you will never get this singleness back when you married. There are certain things in my marriage I cannot do in, uh, uh, anymore. I remember my first uh, few months being married to my wife. And while I was single, to help me not to fall into pornography, I, I had a 24-hour membership, also went to uh, anything that was open 24 hours. So what I would do is, if it got kind of whatever, whatever, at 11 p.m., I would just go to Walmart. But then over time, when pornography wasn't even a, a, a thing in my life, I just went to Walmart late at night just because of creative things. I would go to Walmart. Oh, man, I need to go get me a good pen or I ran out of paper. And I would just go because I was creative at nighttime a lot. So it went from being a system to help me overcome a sin to then a system to help me to be creative because I was a night owl. And then one day when I was married, my wife was like, what you putting your shoes on for? It's 1130. I said, oh, I'll be right back. I'm going to Walmart. I'm going to go, go do whatever. And she's like, you really going to leave your wife here at night at 1130 for you to go to Walmart? She said, number one, you leave me here at night by myself. Number two, now I can't get no rest because I want I don't know, I want to make sure you come home at night. Josh, you driving a black Durango at eleven thirty at night as a black man. Now we don't. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not concerned about that. But that's unnecessary anxiousness for my wife. And, and then she was like, "I'll go with you." And then so she went with me. So what I'm saying is, as a single man, I could have easily done that anytime I want. But now as a man, man, I can't even do that anymore without consideration. Right. And so you have to understand the beauty of your singleness. You got to understand the joy of your singleness. You got to understand the blessings of it. And it's hard to be discouraged in a season where you understand the reason for it. Because if you know the reason of your single seasons for you um, to be to be developed into the person you need to be, then you will maximize it. All right. How can I how can I incorporate um um, house sustaining skills, marriage sustain, sustaining skills. How can, and you just continue to stockpile skills, stockpile skills, stockpile skills. Then you'll be able to say, okay, what creative things should I be pursuing? How can I maximize my purpose? Not, let me not just write one book. Let me get two books out. Let me, let me, what can I truly offer the table? So the thing is, as a single person, you should be able to say, okay, let me continue to build up my offering so that when I meet God's man for me or God's woman for me, look what all I got to offer you. Frankincense, myrrh, gold. Look what I got to offer you to the king in you. Look what I got to offer to Christ in you. What I got, what I get to offer the, 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 the person for you. I, I can, I can cook four or five different meals, seven different meals. I, I keep a home clean. I, I, I keep you, I keep a smile on your face. I, I offer these business sustaining skills. I offer a business. I offer a generational business. I offer all of this. What do, what can you truly offer a man? Men are going to look for peace. Men are going to look for problem solvers. Men are going to be looking for a, 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 a woman that can handle pressure. A, a, a man is looking for more intangible things. Boys look for bodies. Men look for embodiments. Boys look at bodies. Men look at embodiments. What do you embody as a woman? What do you embody? I can care less about your body. Your body is nothing but sprinkles and icing. I want to know what type of ingredients is in the cake. 
Before we bake, let me see the ingredients of the cake. What do you embody as a woman? Ladies also look at a man. What do you embody as a man? I can care less about what is chiseled on the outside of you. I care about what's chiseled inside of you. Are you more Christ-like than you ever been before? Boys and girls look at bodies. Men and women look at embodiments. Do you embody the character of God? Do you embody love? Do you embody joy? That if you squeeze, no matter what life squeezes on you, what comes out of you is joy, love, peace, gentleness, long-suffering, etc. And if you don't embody what it means to be a wife, and all you offer him is a body, you can throw it back, but you can't push nothing. You always pull things back and causing lack. How can you really have that man's back? We look so much at making sure that I'm the prize. Look at my body, yada, yada. Look at what I offer. But no, no, we're looking at what you embody, yada, yada. What do you embody? What kind of embodiments do you have? So hope to help. Jazz says, can you elaborate how you said you once idolized your ministry? How was you saved from it? What caused you to fall in it? Great question. Um, yeah, man, idolizing ministry boiled down to selfish ambitions. The lineage of the Ezzies are businessmen. My dad's a businessman. My dad's dad was a businessman. We're businessmen. Um, and, and we're very ambitious men. Uh, we're, 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 it's just part of the, it's part of who we are, right? And so how you're wired, who you are purpose-wise can be perverted. So if the enemy can sense lineage wise that there's a businessman in that man, there's a there's a successfulness about that man, then how can I pervert that in that man to to create idolatry perversion by default? Because I was created by the first Adam. By default, I have that already in me. When second Adam came and now I accept the second Adam, who is Jesus, into my life, then those areas of perversion can now be um, pushed into into there is perfect state, right? But it's a process to take that area of perversion and to make it into something that's perfected by the person through the Holy Spirit, right? Right. So you're going to be more susceptible to fall into certain things. The Bible says when a man is tempted or drawn away, he's drawn away by his own lust. She's drawn away by her own lust and enticed. So whatever you're wired by, the enemy's going to try to be perverted so that you won't get by those areas and those things be strongholds. So it was already set up for me to be tailored to that form of idolatry, right? So when ministry came, my success, which was no, which even though I was saved, I was still being sanctified to understand what it means um, to be a successful man biblically. Make sure I got my computer charging, right? And so what set me up to idolize, um, give me one second, y'all. Ministry was, that area of my life wasn't quite sanctified yet to a mature level where I'm able to see ministry in its right perspective, meaning that my mind wasn't renewed yet to see it through yet, the way it was meant to be seen through, right? So I idolized ministry because I was like that, my success, just like a regular businessman would, my success in business, my success in anything that I do determines my worth. And so when my ministry wasn't giving me the worth that I was looking for, then all of a sudden I didn't feel myself worth. So for instance, if if seven people came to my Bible study or 10 people came to my Bible study, uh, there was times where I was like, all right, I'll give them what I got. But if there was 50 to 100 people there, I was a different dude. I was then I then God convicted me like, fam, what is you doing? I don't care if there's five people right here. You give them the same energy you would give 500,000 people. And how I was saved from that was the renewing of my mind, seeing Christ for who he really is, seeing the heart of ministry for what really, really is, and, and, and putting those idols on the cross and saying, God, create this heart of stone, turn it into a heart of flesh, oh God. Give me the right eyes. Let me see the things that you want to see. And then, then I really see when I first started ministry, it wasn't like that. Be very careful of the middle. Be very careful of the middle. The beginning, we're on fire. <laughs> In the beginning, when I was 19, I didn't care about uh, the idolatry wasn't manifest yet because the zeal superseded the idolatry that was hidden. 
So I had a lot of zeal. And then until, and then when the zeal got me over, to over top of the hill, and then I began to see the people that were healed from what I did, then I started uh, making them into commodities. Then I started thinking business. How many people can I get to buy shirts? And so the business of ministry got in the way of the ministry. I said, how many wristbands could I sell? How many books can I sell? Then it went from zeal to zealous ambition. And then all of a sudden, when I got into the middle and I began to realize and realize, oh, man, I'm pretty good at this. Then I start feeling myself. Then I start thinking to myself more highly than I ought to think. And I start thinking about how can I cash out? And it wasn't like it was evil. So don't think that my heart was because I was a genuine guy. It was just the business in me. And then God was like, man, you can't make a business of me. <laughs> Shoot. The wordplay. He said, man, who cares about the business in you? Don't make a business out of me because of the business in you. So I thought the business in me, God was like, don't make it a business out of me. And so then that's when I said, man, you know what? True. <laughs> and now I barely promote stuff, man. Like, like I know, I know how good my material is, so I offer it. But at the same time, man, 30, 29 people watching me right now. And I'm giving y'all the same thing as if that was 29,000. And so what caused me to fall in was what was my fallen state. And, and then when I got into Christ, then it required the renewing of my mind so that I won't fall. In. And even now I have to stay with God so I don't fall back in it. Hope that. I need to let go of a relational. Let me see what Princess is saying. Let me make sure my wife ain't calling. She's, I think she's coming home now. Okay. I think that's it, y'all. I feel in my spirit. I'm done. I love you all. Thank y'all so much um, for rocking with me. Uh, I, I might go live again. This week is a, is a lighter week. I do have a few, a, a good handful of coaching sessions. Um, but hey, if you need coaching, man, listen, I'm here, man. Utilize me while you got me because, uh, you know, once that baby come through, <laughs> I can't guarantee how much I can coach. Um, so these are the last few weeks where I can really offer a lot because, you know, being married, cut time in half. Now having a child's going to cut that time I even have down into more than a half. And I'm only going to have my, this much time left, you know what I'm saying, um, to really coach. So get on my books now. I'll go ahead and post the link. Get if you need to talk to me and you're like, man, coach, I need you, I need you to really help me create worksheets and develop a system um, for me to uh really get through the situation. Book your coaching session now. People who people who are coached by me on Zoom, they see the same chair, see the same lights. I, I coach you right here from my office, and um, and um, and I look forward to helping you all. And so let's see here. Uh, okay. Uh, you're so welcome. I'm glad it was a blessing. Um, yes, ma'am. I hate that we got family in the building. Thank you so much. God gets the glory for sure. Uh, gotta go, y'all. Love y'all. Uh, one on one coaching, relationships, spiritual development, singleness, purpose, branding. If you just got a complicated situation, need my advice on, let me know your budget. Get on my books. I have a, I have a good handful of time left this week. Next week, I go on vacation, third week in July. Um, so there's only maybe about a good solid six to seven weeks left. And so uh, get on there. Get in there. Also, check out my book, Facts of Feelings. If you want to learn how to fulfill, uh, you want to learn how to process your feelings so you can get back to feeling. Great book here. If you're looking for a book to hold things better, you're looking for a journal to kind of keep you on track, great book there. If you want to learn about the purpose of your singles, learn how to maximize, there's a great book there. If you're looking for a dating resource to date, uh, to ask the right questions to either end the wrong relationship or extend the right one, great book there. If you're looking to better discern what's in front of you, make sure it's the will of God, great book there. If you want to learn about the purpose of singleness, oh, uh, if you want to learn how to untie soul ties up with strongholds, great book there. Purpose of Freedom. If you're looking for a good ch uh, children's book, as he says, it'd be a great book for you. If you're looking for a book to help you with spiritual warfare and how to better understand the whole armor of God, this would be a great resource there. If you want to get t-shirts, merch, there's t-shirts links under the description, under the YouTube channel, get you some shirts. If you just want to support what I do, you want to give, you feel led to give, we'll, we'll appreciate your generosity in advance. I love you all. Y'all be blessed. I'll catch y'all next time. Thank you for your prayers. You're so welcome, Miss Blunt. Thank y'all for joining me. Y'all be blessed. I'll catch y'all next time. And thank you all for listening on the podcast. Love you all. Y'all be blessed. Peace.